Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Let's pray again. Almighty Heavenly Father, we look forward to that rest beyond the river and we look forward, Jesus, to you returning Uh, As I was finishing Revelation the other day with my boys, I was reminded of Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would indeed come quickly. And until then, Jesus, I pray that we would live lives that bring glory to you and expand your kingdom because you have left us here so that we could be uh, your tools, your means of bringing glory to you and others to Christ. And we pray that this evening you would do that through us again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was very young, my grandma took me camping a couple times. She had this big boat whale of a Mercury with a 454 engine, and that thing can go anywhere. She pulled this little trailer up to a stream one time, and she stuck her pole in the sand and the rocks that were there, and waited for some fish. Well, the waiting got a little boring for me, and as far as I was concerned, we waited too long. So I found another approximately five-year-old rocket scientist, and we decided to go throw rocks. Grandma was much more interested in her uh, paying attention to her bobber when we found a small cloud buzzing about a cast away. My rocket science friend and I decided that that cloud needed some rocks thrown into it until a swarm of angry bees decided that they had had enough. Oh, come on, there's got to be some more laughter than that. I just told an embarrassing story and you're not laughing at me? You're, you're used to me. We got chased by bees. No, we didn't get stung. We ran into the trailer. That part I remember. And my grandma was not happy with us. Throwing rocks at a beehive is about what we think the Bible does when God starts talking about submission. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, and it's rather silly to do now anyways, right? Now, I know that this particular subject is a beehive even today because a couple of weeks ago, when I told you all that this was going to be our subject, I had more than one person come up to me and ask me what I was going to talk about. I'm not saying any names. So, I called uh, Mike Wheeler and asked him if I could borrow his bulletproof vest so that I could brave the flack up here. Obviously, he's not here, so that tells you how brave he was in the face of this subject. But there's a question. There's a question that is on all of our minds when we hear about the subject of the biblical teaching on submission. The question is no surprise to anyone, and that is this. What if the person 
I am required to submit to is an ungodly person? I mean, that's the question in a nutshell. Now, there's thousands of flavors that that one question can be expressed in, right? But basically, the question is, what if I have to submit to someone who is less than godly? Well, my first answer to that is, you find me a godly person to submit to, and I'll be happy to do it. But what I want you to know to begin with is, I'm going to come to that question. I think it's a fair question, and I think it deserves an answer, and I think the Bible gives an answer. But I want you to stay with me as I take my grandma's big old 454 Mercury, and we take a road trip through the Bible to see the sights along the way. And we're going to start where we ended last time, and that's in Ephesians 5.21, where the apostle ends his little list by saying that we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you remember that I said this submitting was one of the verbs that was kind of hanging off another verb. It was kind of completing the idea that we saw in verse 17 where Paul commands us to understand what the will of the Lord is. So we have this command, understand the will of the Lord. And then there's several commands that kind of flesh that out. If we're going to understand God's will, we must not get drunk. We must be filled with the Spirit. We must address one another with psalms, spiritual songs, etc. We must give thanks always, and then we must also submit one to another. And that, I think, was three weeks ago when we were uh, going through what that meant. Now, Doing those five things, if you go through Ephesians five seventeen through 21 and you do those, you will, in the vast majority of the situations that you will face in this life, know what God's will is. It can't be that simple, you say. Well, my answer is try it sometimes. Because Jesus said it was that simple. He says... In John seven seventeen, he says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking from my own authority. So do what the Bible says, and you'll find out whether or not the Bible really is God's word. But back to verse 21 that we were just on. I want you to note here that the command is to submit to one another. Now, this should make our feminist friends listening happy. Happy? Well, okay, feminists aren't ever happy, but at least less angry. Thank you. I need people to laugh at me, guys. I need some amens and some laughter. It just helps. Uh, <laughs> but I know that someone is thinking right now, when do we get to the part about the wife submitting to her husband? Hold your horses. Because we're not there yet. Before we get there, I want to look at a definition offered by a Bible scholar that I respect. His name is John Broger, and this is what he says. He says, Biblical submission is an act of the will demonstrated, lived out, seen by those around you, by serving others out of an attitude that regards the person being served as more important than yourself. 
Submission does not mean that you place yourself under the control of another. You stand directly accountable to God and not to anyone else's ultimate authority. That quote, by the way, is in your notes. And you should have that. Now, he takes this definition from several verses. The first one is from Matthew, starting verse 26. Jesus says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The point, my friends, of Christian leadership, whether it's in the company, in the school, at home, in the church, the point of Christian leadership is service. And we know that because the greatest leader of all, Jesus himself, did not come to lord his leadership over anyone. He came instead to serve. Furthermore, there is not a man, woman, or child anywhere that has such authority over anyone else that their word must be listened to over God. These verses, I know you already know. But the first one's in Acts. Peter and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. And clearly, Paul echoes the same thing when he says in Romans 14.12, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And while these are true, the, the real punchline to Broger's definition of submission comes in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And that's where Paul writes this. He's, Paul is writing the book of Philippians. I know Pastor Benji just went through it, but I, I want to kind of put it in a sentence. The, he wrote the book of Philippians as to show these examples of these godly living and to thank the Philippians for their sacrifice. And in chapter 2, Paul is concentrating on the example of Christ. And so before he gets to that, he says this. He says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of of others. This humility that counts others more significant than yourself. <laughs> that, by the way, is a verse that I have struggled with for a long time. Anybody else with my team on that one? Yep, okay. Again, next week, lying. <laughs> Thank you. I love you guys. Um, that humility that counts others more significant than yourself, is what we call in the church nowadays, death to self. You all are familiar with that phrase. And Dallas Willard gives the best understanding of death to self I've read. This is also in your notes. But he wrote this. He said, being dead to self is the condition where the mere fact that I do not get what I want does not surprise me. It doesn't offend me. And it has no control over me. Now you know what? I struggle with this. I struggle with this. And one of the, those who know me really well will know this is true of me. But one of the ways I struggle with this is when I get into a conversation and I try to talk and I feel like I'm being walked on, 
I really, really struggle with that. And I have offended at least a couple of you in that way. I love you all. But dying to yourself is difficult. But when you put it in a definition like this, when you can see it, and you know what it is you're struggling with, now you can take this and say, Lord, I, I don't need to be surprised when people do this. I know it's going to happen. And you know, really, I don't need to be offended because as my sister Michelle Winger says, don't take offense where none is intended. I think that's good. But you know what? I, I have the choice, by God's grace, I have the choice to decide whether it's going to have control over me or not. In fact, this, with this definition, with this understanding of death to self, if you are looking for the best de- definition of submission found anywhere in the Bible, I think you can do no better than Philippians 2, 3, and 4. If you want to know what the Bible means by submission, go to two, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. That's not the last word. We're going to find some more. But I think that's a pretty good one. And we'll take from this our topic sentence at the top of your notes that you and I are to live our life for an audience of one. We are to live our life for an audience of one. In fact, I want to draw your attention to a very significant fact, and that is this whole discussion of submission is stemming from Ephesians 5.21, which tells us that we are to submit to all believers. Now let's find out, let's just see, perchance, if there are any other examples of us submitting to one another. (gasps) There are. Shocking. We must submit to our spouse, Ephesians 5.22-27. We must submit to our parents when we're under their authority, Ephesians 6.1-2. We must submit to our children when they are under our authority, Ephesians 6.4. We must submit to our employers, Ephesians 6.5-8. We must submit to our employees, Ephesians 6.9. We must submit to the authority of the church. By the way, one pastor put it this way to a, a man he was counseling. If you want your wife to submit to your authority, then you need to submit to the authority of the church in the same way. That shut him up really fast. Okay. We must submit to the authority of our political government. He, uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7. And of course, we must submit to God. James 4, 7. All of these passages, and if you want them, I can give them to you later. Simply expand on the simple command found in Ephesians 5.21. That we must be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The point is that you and I must live our life for an audience of one, not of many. The Christian will often find him and herself in need of aligning themselves under another. That's what submission means. It means lining yourself up underneath them. And Believers, in fact, in 
all of their relationships from time to time will find themselves in need of being in submission to the other. What that means is that in each relation or what that means in each relationship will be different. But we must remember that our act of submission is first and foremost directed to God, not to the person in front of us. We are submitting to this other person as secondary because first and foremost we are submitting to the command of God to submit to whomever it is standing in front of us. We are living for the one to whom every single person must give an account, even those people who are making our submission very difficult. They are going to have to respond to the Lord themselves. And that's exactly what we'll find out when we get to Ephesians 6, 9. We, you and I, must live our life for an audience of one. Submitting to those who are around us, dying to self, these are simply different ways of saying that you and I must live for God and God alone because He first preeminently is going to be the one who judges us. And yet, it's true. I haven't brought up the subject, the question. I haven't concentrating on answering a very good and very direct question. I've been asked multiple times, not only in the last three weeks, but in the last 16 and a half years as a pastor. Fifteen, what did I just say? I've been married for 16 and a half, 15 years. Um, So let me have the opportunity to do that right now. We want to discover what it means in the case that we are being presented with in Ephesians 5, 22-24, what it means for a wife to submit to to her own husband. So let's start at the beginning. The beginning is in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, that a man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I want you to catch this word helper. This word helper is used many times in the Old Testament. It is used in one place for a group of warriors in Joshua 1.14. In another place it's used of an entire city was a helper. That's in 2 Samuel 8.5. It's also used of a general of the army and the high priest together who were a helper in 1 Kings 1.7. It's also used of a helper who is the archangel Michael found in Daniel 10.13. So when the wife is called the helper, she is in some pretty good company, don't you think? That's, I mean, I would say that's a pretty good company to be in. We're not even done yet because by far the most Numerous times that this word helper, the one that is used to describe, is not a human being at all, but it is the Lord Himself who is Israel's helper, individual people's helper, and the helper of you and me. So if there are any male chauvinists who want to write, who want to use the wife's role as helper, in Genesis 2.18, to put them down under their thumbs, they're not going to get any help from the Bible. 
But in reality, we haven't hit the beginning yet. The real beginning of this discussion is in Genesis 1.27, where it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the creation order, in terms of their being, now I'm going to get a little philosophical here for you just a second. In terms of who they actually are, man and woman are equal. The nerdy word, if you want to really get down to it, is they have ontological equality. Aren't you glad you paid extra for that? And just in case you're wondering, Paul affirmed the exact same ontological equality in Galatians 3.28 where he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, is Paul denying that these categories exist? No, he's not at all. But what he's saying is the Jew in this fancy philosophical word, ontological, in, in their deepest reality of who they are, is no different from the Greek. They're both human beings. So is the slave, and so is the free person. So is the male, and so is the female. They all stand before God as human beings. That is what this idea means of they are equal in being. Now there's another favorite verse that people use to uh, push an idea of male chauvinism, to use lack of a better term. And it speaks to two key ideas I want to get. The first one is this idea of ontological equality or the equality of being. But the second one we'll see in just a second. First Peter 3, 7 where Peter writes to us men, he says, Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. There is no distinction there between the male and the female. So that your prayers may not be hindered. The husband is to honor his wife because they are, in this sense, in their being, who they are as human beings are absolutely equal. They are exactly the same as us in the sense that God doesn't see a distinction between male and female in terms of their being. Roles are going to be different, and we're going to talk actually more about that next week. So stay tuned. But men, there's another reason. You and I must honor our wives because we want our prayers answered. Amen? Now this verse also gets to another aspect of the heart of what it means, what I think that the Bible means about when it says submission. We are to live in an understanding way. Men. If you are going to understand your wife, you need to stop making jokes about understanding your wife and start listening to her. You are going to have to submit to her attempts at getting through your rock-solid head. Okay, women, don't say anything. <laughs> the husband was reading the newspaper at the breakfast table and 
Look, there's a study out that says women speak 20,000 words and men only speak 10,000 words. That's because we have to repeat everything we say. What? (laughs) It took a couple of you a little while to get that. The rest of you, I'll explain it later. Husbands... (laughs) Husbands, submit to your wife by listening. Then God will start listening to your prayers and you will be living for an audience of one. Now with that background, let's finally look at our text to see what it means for you and me. Ephesians five twenty one and 22, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then wives, submit to your own husbands as to your Lord. As, as to the Lord, sorry. Submit to your own husbands. That There's been a lot of hay made out of that, and I think it's valid. Women are not there to be submissive to everyone. They're there to be submissive to their husbands. But they do it in this strange way. Paul adds a little clause that we have to get. What does he mean by as to the Lord? Well, I think that that clause is best understood in light of the Colossians passage that is a uh, reflection of this, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I, I think that kind of explains it a little bit better because the question, the key question that you and I need to ask is what does it mean as to the Lord or as it stands in Colossians as fitting in the Lord? My friends, it means to live your life for an audience of one. Because you are ultimately responsible for obeying God to submit to your husbands means to live like you're trying to please God. So at this point, all kinds of questions start popping in our heads. From both sides of the aisle, from the men and from the women. What if my husband tells me to help him rob a bank? Well, the answer to that question is a question. Would it be honoring God if I were to go and try to rob a bank with my husband? What's the answer to that? Clearly, no. Would robbing a bank be acting as is fitting in the Lord? Now listen, you've heard me say this a bunch of times from this pulpit, and that is that Christianity is simple. It's not easy, but it's not complex either. Our walk with God is not complex, but nobody said it was going to be fun. If you can answer the question, will my submission in this, whatever this particular thing is, be fitting in the Lord, then you will find out fairly quickly whether or not you should submit in this particular case. And my friends, this is no different in any relationship that you stand in. This is going to be true between you and your boss. This is going to be true between you and the politicians. This is going to be True between you and your parents. Because we must always keep in mind verse 21, which is to submit to one another. 
But when we've taken seriously what Willard told us about what it means to die to yourself, then these questions will mostly be answered. We will honor God by submitting in this, whatever this is, much more readily because we won't allow the slights, the offenses, the not getting my way to control our hearts. We will let that go. And at that point, it will be much simpler to submit when we need to. But we, and I do include myself in this frustration, we ask, what do I do when what they're asking me to do is ungodly? God's Word says in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, now, before I get there, I want to preface what I'm about to read here. There has been more than once in the years that I've been in the pastorate times when I have wanted to kick the man in the shins in the name of Jesus. <laughs> actually, that, that's funny, but it's, it's actually not. I have been in situations where I'm glad that the Lord kept me from doing something that would be foolish. And our, if it could be righteous anger, if our righteous anger is not best answered by acting as the judge, it is best answered by using God's word. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that there's a point, not only are you honoring God through your submission, but you're doing it so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. How? By the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, the point... is that actions speak louder than words. Pastor, I can't do that. He'll walk all over me. I didn't say it would be easy. Everybody at the office will laugh at me for doing this. I said it would be right. When you and I live for an audience of one, you will be living for the only one who can make it right, both in this lifetime and sometimes because it can't be made right in this lifetime. It will be made right in the lifetime to come. Man, where's that bulletproof vest? I want to say something else because I know enough ladies' stories in this audience. I know enough of your stories and enough of you that there has been a lot of garbage piled on many of you. And I want to say that 
there is something about the ultimate unsubmission, the ultimate de-submission, the ultimate anti-submission. Divorce. I do believe that there are times in Scripture that the Scriptures indicate that divorce is appropriate. And I am not going to talk about that tonight. That's a different sermon. But I do believe that divorce becomes an option when the husband is in unremitting, unrelenting demanding of submitting in ways that are clearly ungodly. Divorce is never biblical. I want you to catch me. I want you to listen to this carefully. Divorce is never biblical for a sin. Divorce is only biblical when that sin is unrepented of and it's clear that it's going to be a pattern that is dangerous to everyone concerned. You only chop off a limb when you absolutely have to. But when you get gangrene in your limb, you better chop it off. This is tough stuff. Try being a preacher sometime. Now I want to say something to us men on this subject. Men, first of all, Ephesians 5, 22-24 is not written to us. You read your own mail. Don't demand that your wives submit. If they did submit, it wouldn't do you any good, according to 1 Peter 3, 7. Secondly, your job, my job, our job, men, is going to be spelled out next week. So make sure you come back and listen with as much enthusiasm as you did today. Amen, ladies? Lastly, and I didn't tell my wife I was going to say this, but I've been married for 16 and a half years. And I have had one situation when I said, this is going to be the way we're going to do it. And I have such a good wife, she let me do it the way I said we were going to do it. Men, a godly man is not going to overrule their wives very often. We chose our wives because they're better than us. I married way up. We chose them because we want them on our team, not so we can push them around. Secondly, in those same 16 and a half years of marriage, my wife has submitted on many occasions when wisdom would have told me to Slow down. I should have heard loud and clear the warnings that my wife was giving me. In my folly, Donna was wise enough in doing an excellent job of not telling me, I told you so. Because I have given her many opportunities to say that. My friends, whether you are submitting... In this moment, in whatever moment, whether you are submitting in a moment or you are being the recipient of someone in submission to you, 
I want you to remember this story is not about you. Your story is about the one for whose approval you live. Your story at any given moment is about the one who gave you life. And that is why the big battles are won on the little day-to-day decisions, the little day-to-day times when we submit our desire to be right, to be first, to be respected, whatever it is, to the Lord who is the one who will make sure that all accounts are dealt with. We, you and I, must live in view of the one who matters. In whatever relationships you find yourself, make sure that you are first dying to yourself and that you are living for an audience of one. And then, as appropriate, love the person who is in front of you. Let's pray. Oh God, this is a difficult subject. And Lord, I I very inadequately handled it, I'm sure. But Lord, I thank you for your word because your word will not return to you void. And God, you are greater than all. And Lord, I pray that in my heart you would do the work that I need this week to submit in the various relationships that I am in. And Lord, that I would take Dallas Willard's advice. And Lord, that I would die to myself by choosing to reject a selfish, small view of whatever is going on here. And Lord, to humble myself, to submit to those who are around me for the glory of God and for the good of the kingdom in Santa Maria. We praise it. We praise you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net. 